Tell me what you really think and know the issues with Lisa Valone, where the best informed win and the uninformed fail. Hi, everyone, and welcome to Tell Me What You Really Think. I'm Lisa. And I'm Dan. And I'm Nikki. Hey, Nikki. So all of us have always wondered if we were ever a representative, what type of bill would we introduce to make a positive difference? At least I know that I have thought about that from time to time. Dan, if you were an elected official on the federal level, what bill would you introduce? That's a good question. So I think I would probably introduce a bill to abolish uh, federal uh, mandatory minimum sentences. Um, it tends to take away judicial discretion and sentencing um, and is, is fairly archaic. Nikki, what do you think about that? Mm. Well, in some cases, I feel like the sentencing isn't strict enough. So, but mandatory minimum sentencing, I don't know. I guess it depends. Like in some cases where I guess it wouldn't technically be self-defense, but everyone could understand why someone would act in the way that they did. Uh, and then let's say you had a minimum sentence of 25 years for that crime. I feel like that wouldn't really be super fair too because like if everyone could technically see how it would be self-defense but by law you know it's not i guess i i could understand from that viewpoint no i mean that makes sense right um and it's interesting because uh, when i think mandatory minimums it doesn't just apply to like violent crimes right so especially on the federal level um really any drug offense will have a mandatory minimum. Um, so you know, marijuana, for instance, is still criminal at the federal level. And depending on you know, the amount that you have, a lot of times there's at least a five-year mandatory minimum uh, for something that's legal in states, right? Um, and the federal kind of penalties, really compared to the states for all crimes, tend to be a lot more severe um, and don't give the power to judges to make individual determinations, right? To say, oh, I kind of get why this happened or, or I understand um, maybe it wasn't this kind of pure evil choice. There, there was some other reason. I could see that. Yeah, I can definitely see that too. Nikki, what bill would you introduce? I would just want world peace. <laughs> <laughs> uh i i think i would legalize all drugs and prostitution if i was uh elected. for people of all ages no uh of people over adult age so anyone over the age of 18 i would make all drugs legal and all uh prostitution legal and the reason for that being uh I think when you make things legal, obviously it brings in a new form of income uh, for the country or it helps the economy because you're able to tax it. Also, if all drugs became legal, you would obviously help out the workforce because people would need to, you would need like chemists and biologists to be able to make the drugs and make them in a safe way. Um, and you would need people to be able to like package them and things, things like that, promote them. You would have healthy competition of people trying to sell them. But um, I also think that it would decrease the number of like overdoses because when something's kind of easy to obtain and everyone gets it, I, I feel like it stops being as dangerous and as where people are, are 
acting that way. And then also I feel like um, a lot of people overdose now too because things are laced with other drugs and people don't know exactly what they're getting or they're cut with other things and people don't know how much they're actually using. Um, and so it would be able to be regulated in a safer way. Uh, and I just feel like drugs is one of those things that like we've been having a war with drugs ever since we made drugs illegal right in like the late 1800s. And in the late 1800s, people were overdosing, but in a very, very, very small population. And, uh, you know, they seem to be responsible with it. And then we made it illegal and that opened the way for a, a lot of people just being addicted. And then also it gets rid of a lot of criminals in jail. Um, because if you decriminalize it, then you don't have people on the streets dealing drugs. You don't have people smuggling drugs. Um, so I just think there's a lot of benefits for making all drugs legal. And then prostitution is as old as sin. So it's never going to go away either. And why not also just make it legal like it used to be in the 1800s and just make better regulations on it to make it safer for everyone involved and also have where it's a, a, a legal occupation so that you can tax it. Yeah, I would definitely vote for your bill because I've never understood why prostitution is illegal. If we had it where it was legalized, like you said, it, it would be regulated more. It would get rid of the pimps that go ahead and abuse these women yep. and they get them hooked on drugs and and all of these, you know, violent things. The women could be and men who are in prostitution could be checked for social diseases. And they wouldn't be know. out on the streets where it's dangerous and cold and and also a lot of I mean, a lot of sex workers, there's a lot of prostitutes now, even though it's illegal. And like uh, we like I listen to a lot of crime shows and and anytime that it's involving a prostitute that's murdered or, or raped or beaten, they always fear going to the police because they think no one's going to believe them or no one's going to care. And that's not really right that we have uh, like a, a whole category of people that are that think that they, they almost deserve it or that no one's going to care if something happens to them. And, and that's not right. Like uh, people yes, shouldn't be like second wrong. class citizens. Yes, absolutely wrong. And you know, it also, like you said, it brings in income. And as for drugs, yeah, remember, in, you brought up about the 1800s, you have some old magazines where it shows different medicines and so forth that they had where it had coke in it or heroin or, or opium or whatever. And the people did not get where they became dysfunctional people who couldn't go to work. In fact, you know, the early immigrants used to work from morning until night and they didn't call in sick or anything. They just kept going and they worked really hard and they had, you know, happy family lives and so forth. Well, the drugs will do that for you. But um, <laughs> <laughs> no, but I mean, even like the the book, uh, The War for My Window, about a 10 year old uh, that kept a diary for six years every day and he had a, a terminal illness and Anytime he would get pain, they'd give him some type of like opium or they'd give him heroin or they'd give him cocaine. And he, even being a young child, that was an extreme amounts of pain his whole life. He would only take it on days where he felt his absolute worst and he would take it and he'd feel a little bit better. And then he'd write in the next day that he wouldn't need to take it again. And he would go weeks in the diary without taking it again, even though he was in incredible amounts of pain, he was responsible with it, even though it was legal and it, and it was easily obtainable back then. So I think it kind of loses its cool factor. It kind of loses its like addictiveness, especially when it's like the yeah. purest sense of a drug. 
then it's kind of like when you you tell kids they can't have any alcohol and then they have to go and prove how great they are by getting drunk well yeah you tell people they can't have drugs then they're going to go ahead and you know they want to experiment and they're getting it from like you said people off the street who are lacing with things that they have no idea about. Mm -hmm. And then what happens if they're caught with it, you know, or they, they've got a real bad drug problem, they're arrested, they're not getting the help that they need. This was legalized, then they wouldn't have the stigma about going to get the help, you know, saying that, you know, I've got this problem or whatever, because the government went ahead and regulated it, and they were making, you know, uh, revenue from it, they would set up programs where instead of arresting people, which costs us money to keep people in jails, they could go ahead and come up with programs for people who are the ones who are going to become, you know, addictive or abuse it or whatever. Dan, what do you think? No, I absolutely agree. Um, kind of even reflecting on what you all were saying, um, you know, we do see a lot of people who overdose, and, and even if we legalize or you know decriminalize drugs. Um, you know, there will still be overdoses. Uh, but when we see overdoses being really fatal is because people don't want to get help, right, in those situations. So if, let's say, people are doing drugs, like, collectively, right, in a small group, one person overdoses, the others in the group don't want to call 911 because they think if they do, not only is the ambulance can get dispatched, but so is our sort of police, right, and they're going to get in trouble. Or if somebody is even addicted to drugs. They might not want to go to a doctor. They might not want to go to a hospital because they think if I go tell anybody, um, if I tell some kind of government official, I have a problem, I need help. Right? Our kind of go-to at the moment is arrest. Um, and you know, there are some cities who have kind of softened that approach, but I still think that's kind of that prevailing thought process. Uh, if I ask for help or, you know, God forbid I overdose and I need some kind of help, Mm -hmm. uh, I'm looking at prison time, and so maybe I'll just chance it or run away and, and you know, run a few blocks down the road and call 911. Um, and when it comes to over overdosing, right, time really matters. So I think, I think you're right. If, if we go from a criminal justice model to kind of a public health model, right? mm -hmm. um, understanding that you know, even if we legalize it, addiction, we can treat it as a disease and, and treat it from that medical standpoint. Um, and, you know, same thing is true for, uh, I think, for prostitution as well. Um, I think it would eliminate a lot of kind of the really negative parts of, of prostitution that we see. Um, because anytime that we have things in the darkness, it always tends to get worse and worse. Um, so anything to get rid of that pimp culture, especially if we do it in kind of in tandem, right? Because one thing we do see that pimps do is often pimps will get um, young women or, or young men hooked on a drug, right, mm -hmm. and then basically prostitute them out um, for them to be able to meet their high. Uh, and so if we legalize drugs, we legalize prostitution, it really takes a lot of that, um, the pimp's ability to take advantage of the situation. Um, so yeah, no, I, I think that's, I think it's a really, really smart approach. I'd absolutely vote for that bill. And I also think it just reduces how many people are in the prison system, because I, I would imagine, I don't, I have the facts in front of me right now, but I'd imagine that a large amount of people in the prison system probably are because of some type of drugs selling or, or crossing a border with it or using or something like that, or some type of sex work, or even not uh, like, you know, even someone who's pimping someone out or even a John being in prison, not that like they're 
innocent in it, but I'm just saying that they're also contributing to the prison population. And I think that prison overcrowding is a huge issue. And if we can look and see things that we can make safer by making legal and, and getting people out of jail and just having people that are in there that are violent offenders and actually dangerous for society if they're out, I think is a, is a lot more reasonable than having people in there that are, uh, you know, just trying to, to make money and are just trying to, you know, in, enjoy, have a little bit of, you know, enjoyment in life and are, aren't hurting anyone. No, and Nikki, I, I, you're I, absolutely right, because I was looking up for the Bureau of Prisons and it says that 45 percent of the people who are in prisons are because of drug related uh, incidents. And as for prostitution, it's 11.7 percent. Yeah, so it's a good amount of the population in prison. Oh, and absolutely, especially and think about like states that have like three strike laws. Right. So if you oh, yeah. if you get three strikes for drugs, like for, for instance, California has they're still under a federal mandate to release prisoners because they're so overcrowded, partially because they were one of the first states to adopt three strikes. The problem is you got caught with drugs three times. Now you're in, in there for life. Right. And so, yeah, it, it's uh, and you're talking at this time. Right. Um, simple possession not even distributing or selling simple possession was a felony so you do have people serving life sentences for possession of marijuana which is just um it's too much. Horrible, say it's a horrible use of resources mm -hmm. absolutely okay here's my bill and okay. maybe it's too forward thinking but here it goes so when you elect somebody into office on either the state level or on the federal level, they have two offices. They have their district office where it is in their, their area where their constituents are. And then they have the state or the federal office. So either they go to, in New York State, they would go to Albany and with Congress, they'd be going to Washington, D.C. So they're keeping offices at both places. They're keeping staff in both places and when they are in Albany or in Washington DC, they're away from their constituents. So the people who are listening to them, it may be their staff or whatever. So I would like to introduce a bill. And again, we were talking about on the federal level, so it'd be for Congress, where um, they get into the times. Everybody is doing Zoom, everybody is doing virtual. I feel like there should be a bill where they say that um, the congressional building is no longer going to be used, that they work straight from their district office. I think that by doing that, one, it cuts down on the staff that they need, which is really, really expensive because now they're not going to have to have a duplicate staff. Two, they're going to be always in the area where all their constituents are. So, you know, if they're supposed to be the voice of the people, now they're going to be around their people instead of being away from them so much. And then when it comes to congressional building, that's, you know, prime land that can be used for other purposes. Um, and we don't have to pay for the heating bill and everything else. And it could be sold for, um, for a profit. Interesting. I really like that. Um, that would be really interesting. Like I said that that is forward thinking. Um, you know, I I'm not even sure how. And and again, I, I not knowing too much. I know that you know, especially during the height of COVID, 
right? Uh, we did do a lot of, not most of, of our legislative work via Zoom. Um, that would be interesting, really interesting. The you, you know, like, reason I thought about it was when I was a Senate session assistant back in the early 80s, I worked for a state senator who had an office staff in Albany of 10 people. So, you know, it's an office space that you have to heat, that, you know, is taking up room that you have to, you know, that could be used for other purposes. You're paying for all that staff. Um, and then he would go ahead and travel back and forth. And he would always be hearing from his staff in his hometown. Oh, yeah, this person said whatever. But mostly he had to count on them being able to handle things. And I just felt like, wow, what a disservice that he's got to be up here in Albany instead of listening to the people. Because the people in his hometown or his constituents, they they felt like they were separated from him, just like I'm sure that everybody else does. But when I was in Albany every single day, the people who came through the door to talk to him, just like they did with all the senators, were all the lobbyists. And every day, all the lobbyists would say, you know, we, we're putting on this great banquet. We really would like you to go. And there'd be so many of them that he would go ahead and tell different people, why don't you guys go ahead and attend this? And, you know, being a Senate session assistant, I couldn't wait to do it because it was a lot of free food. But the whole time you'd be there, the lobbyists would be like, oh, tell the senator this, tell your senator that. And so the only advantage of being in Albany is to meet with the lobbyists, not to meet with his people. And, you know, and but back then there wasn't, you know, the internet even. So now that we have this and it's common practice for a lot of people, I just feel like this would help out in so many different ways. So let me ask this. Um, how would you handle, I guess, kind of given that, that if we move to that model, how would you handle um, you know, briefings or, or, or congressional hearings that happen completely in private, something like the Senate Intelligence Committee, that sort of thing. Um, I mean, could we secure it uh, enough to be away from like Russian interference, Russian hackers? Um, I think that would be the only question I would have. That's true. I, that is true. It might then maybe be something that's better to try on a state level where there isn't that level of clearance that you need then on the congressional level. I don't know. I'd have to actually give that some thought. That is actually a, a very good point. Um, you know, or, or maybe, you know, there's not everybody is in that type of committee. Uh, mm -hmm. Not everybody is briefed. Um, so maybe it would need to be a much uh, smaller group that actually needs to meet. And again, they wouldn't need to meet as often. Um, I know that, you know, during the height of COVID, AOC intentionally, well, I shouldn't say intentionally, but AOC was in Washington almost the whole time. And that was back when New York City was really getting hit hard with the, the pandemic. And I think that the people really wanted her to be there. You know, they, I think they needed to see her. I think they needed to, to get her guidance and she wasn't there, you know, and, and I was like, what a shame because, you know, these are the people that, that they look up to and that they voted for and that they, they want to hear some comforting words from. No, I really like that. I think that's, I mean, that's, that's a really good idea because like you said, most of the people, I mean, most of what happens in Congress is public anyway. So why not? Right. And, and forcing people to be in their district wow, that's, I, I, when I worked as a, a lobbyist in Massachusetts, 
um, I lived in Boston, so I would just go to the the, the, the state house in, in in Boston. I would never go out to a district to lobby. Right? I was like, oh, I'll just schedule my meeting for when you get back because um, it was convenient. Everybody was there in one place, which meant they weren't as accountable. It's a really good idea. Yeah, I think that's a really good idea. It definitely helps the taxpayers not have the burden of that. Okay, well, I think that's all we have for today. I want to thank you both for being with me. And if you would like to be a guest, just write me. And uh, I have the email address uh, and different links below. 